Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Richard Patrick is on the show today. Richard was part of a rock movement that played a huge part in my musical formation as a teenager. He was part of a rock scene called Industrial Rock in the 80s and early 90s. This industrial rock movement included bands like Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, and Marilyn Manson, among others. I went to see these bands in concert multiple times, and out of every band that you might define as industrial rock from that era, Nine Inch Nails really stood out as one of the most innovative. Richard was the touring guitarist for Nine Inch Nails in the late 80s and early 90s. If you're not familiar with Nine Inch Nails, check out the album Pretty Hate Machine, one of my favorite albums from that era. You can hear Richard playing on the studio version of the song Sanctified on that album. Richard left Nine Inch Nails in 1993 to start his own band, Filter. Filter's debut album, Short Bus, went platinum, selling more than a million records, with hits like Hey Man, Nice Shot. That's why I say Filter's second album, Title of Record, also went platinum with the help of the autobiographical hit, Take a Picture. His songs, Hey Man, Nice Shot, and Take a Picture were such huge hits that they've been used on multiple movie and television soundtracks for the last 20 years. Richard released Filter's seventh studio album, Crazy Eyes, in 2016. And when I spoke to him at his recording studio in Los Angeles, he was on the verge of releasing yet another album. One of the many intriguing parts of Richard Patrick's career is that he's not just a rock star, which of course is extremely cool in its own right, but he scores movies as well. You can hear his work on the Jim Carrey 2016 murder mystery, Dark Crimes. As you will hear on this interview, even at the age of 51, Richard has a lot to say, and he does so with non-stop rock star energy. I could barely keep up with him, and I was clearly not equipped to contain that energy. He has a lot of strong opinions about music, about the music industry, and, as you'll hear, about politics. While I try not to bring politics into these conversations, with Richard Patrick it was impossible not to talk about politics, so I obliged. So fair warning, if you don't like to listen to rants about how Trump is threatening our democracy, you can use the skip ahead button on your podcast app to move past that subject matter. But regardless of your politics, I think you'll really enjoy this wide-ranging and extremely kinetic discussion with Richard Patrick. Richard Patrick, thank you for sitting down. And uh, Pleasure's all mine. Yeah, we, we're here in a lovely studio in uh, Westlake. Westlake Village, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is Thousand a, Oaks. It's a movie production studio with a... A very impressive recording studio that Thank you. you uh you showed us and gave it gave us a tour of um i i want to start off by telling you my um my first exposure to your music which was in the late 80s and early 90s uh, i was in high school and then uh, college and uh i saw nine inch nails multiple nine inch nail shows and mm -hmm. uh and it was a formative time of my life musically because I was really into ministry and Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and you know that whole scene 
And what I remember of you was, um, I think it was at the Moore Theater where I saw Nine Inch Nails the most. I, I think Key Arena a couple of times or Tacoma Dome. But at the Moore, Trent was obviously the front man uh, yeah. in, in the concert. And you were, I think, off to the side somewhere. And it was like the most hard... You know. When what what show was that? Oh, what I can't I don't know what tour that was, but I remember seeing you, and you were so intense, but you weren't like featured out front, you know, like Trent right. Trent Reznor was yeah. was the one that was clearly out front, but oh, yeah. everybody knew who was making this amazing sound, you know, and right. it was you, you know, like but parts of it, yeah, yeah, um, but it was a very minimalist um, band. I mean, yeah. there wasn't a lot to it. Well, the original version was me playing a few guitar parts, um, very, very small, spacious guitar parts, and Podboy, Chris Frenna playing. My nickname was Piggy. His nickname was Podboy. James Woolley was James Woolley for Lollapalooza. And then we had several keyboard players that would come along. Lee Mars was on a lot of the uh, early stuff, like the or the van tours and stuff like that. I think one bus tour. And um, and Trent, the mastermind behind the whole thing. He was, Trent was experimenting when I met him. He was experimenting with hip hop. He was experimenting with almost like a new wave sound. Um, and I had, just I had when I had met Trent to to talk to him about being in Nine Inch Nails, I had already gotten turned down from one of the record companies, and it was one of those like scorn, angry at the world, rejection like moments in my life. And I had uh, just I li listened to too much U two, and I was playing with the digital delay, and of course he cornered the market on that sound like the digital delay and everything like that. The you, edge. The edge. So yeah. you can't ever touch it because fans hear it and they go, well, that's the edge. Yeah, it's so, a ripoff. Yeah. So all of a sudden, everyone who's ever played a guitar, like Keith Richards to Chuck Berry, who's played rock and roll, they're all fine. They're all underneath the rock and roll thing. But when one guy makes the the delay his thing, all of a sudden it's his thing. Well, I agree with that. That's that's the sad thing is I totally agree with it. But at the time, I was this scorned little 18-year-old, just angry as shit. And I literally had my friend Dave Soleil came in, and he had the Land of Raven Honey. And he was like, this is Ministry's newest record. I'm like, Ministry, that like goth bullshit. Nah. Like, I was so angry. And he literally played. He's like, this is the stuff that I'm listening to now. And I'm like, oh everything changed. Yeah. I was like, from now on, I'm heavy as shit and I'm mean and angry because that's how I felt. Yeah. And Trent had seen that transformation because he was like, "What's where's where's the Robert Smith hair that you had, you know, six months ago? <laughs> I'm like, I don't listen to anything but ministry. And, and it was like my head was shaved and it's all fucking like just evil looking, like 
could have been a white supremacist. Who knows <laughs> the dark, you know, the the darkness of where my like. But he was like, "What's with you lately?" I'm like, "I don't fucking. I I really just want to be in an industrial band." It's me. He's like, "You would like some of the new Nine Inch Nails stuff that I'm doing." I'm like, Nine Inch Nails. Hmm. All right. I heard you got a record deal. He's like, yep, dude, I got a record deal. <laughs> he's like, I went to London to do the majority of the record. I'm like, you went to London? What? <laughs> People from Cleveland don't go to London? Mind-blowing. And um, he's like, there's a few songs that you would like. And I, I go, I heard some stuff. You sounded like you kind of like, you know, he's like, you know, he was like, no, it's good. It's, uh, it's, it's heavier. I'm like, okay, cool. And then he played me, had like a hole on, on another visit. And I was like, that's it. I'm in. Had like a whole the chorus. Had like a whole, you know, it was heavy. Angry. And then he played me down in it, and I was like, "That's the rap song that you had." And then he's played me the 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 Adrian Sherwood version of the of the song, and I was like, "That's fucking dope." That's the <laughs> well, we didn't say the word dope back then, but we were. That's the shit, you know. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And he's like, "Yeah, but my other version is like, no, 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 no man." That's the version. That's the Adrian Sherwood. That's the single. That's goes on the record. That's the version, man. Trust me. He goes, well, it's it's a remix. I'm like, trust me, dude. Heavy ass. It's huge. It sounds like Skinny Puppy. You know, it's it's these 808s. So I was I was in there like influencing and saying things and 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 being an equal in my in my little world in my little. From what I remember, it was a, it was a, it was like a, hey, dude, you're you're down here with us. You're not, you're not, you're not some big fucking Oscar winner yet. You're you're down here with us in the shit, and we're all from Cleveland, and we're and you're no better than us, and like you know, and then there was a moment where he was like, all right, dude, well the the you know, I smashed your guitar, sorry, I smashed <laughs> your guitar, but but here's your new guitar, and it's this hot pink. Charvel, and if you know anything about guitars, there's two kinds of guitars. There's Fender Strats, and then there's like Gibson Les Pauls. Everything else is like some weird derivative. He gives me the Charvel, it's a heavy metal looking guitar, and it's hot salmon pink. And I'm like, yo, dude, you must have fucked up because this is this is ugly as shit. I'm not I'm not playing this fucking hot pink bullshit. I'm like, what are you crazy? It's well, Rich. There's pink on the record cover. It's pretty hate machine, get it? Pretty with the hate. It's light with the darkness. It's the juxtaposition. It's the juxtaposition. There's yeah. got to be some element of like pink well, on, makes the, on stage. And yeah. I'm like, fuck you, not me, <laughs> not going to do it. So during rehearsal, after he split, I took a Sharpie and I sat there and Sharpied over the paint and got it to black with a black Sharpie, like completely colored over the guitar. And like would work on it, like I'd sweat, some of it would come off, I'd get back there and I'd put some Sharpie. And Trent saw the guitar and he goes, <laughs> he goes, Mark O'Shea goes, Richard, this is a $3,000 guitar. And I'm like, that's a $3,000 bullshit fucking pink guitar. <laughs> and Trent's like, touche, piggy, touche. Uh. Yeah, and it was it was those kind of moments that like no one really knew about that I've only started talking about recently because I didn't want to be in Information Society Part Two. Like I didn't want to be in a band that was going to be like, 
Well, you got me working so hard lately, <laughs> working my hands until they bleed. <laughs> that was like the biggest joke shit I'd ever seen or been a part of. Like that was like, we're gonna fucking die if you if you if we get behind that part of the band, which is one of his songs. Yeah, Ring Finger. I just that was like the epitome of like, dude, that's we're gonna fuck up. If we do that shit, we're going to fucking, it's going to suck. And my whole thing was being on stage. You want to tackle me? Fucking tackle me. I'm going to throw fucking beers at you. Like, like we have to man this thing up because it was, it was on the teetering edge of just too cute. So did he appreciate your moxie, your, you know, willingness to, you know, I guess buck in, uh, and resist some of his ideas? I think so, because when I quit, he he wrote a song about me. You know, he wrote Piggy about me. Uh, he, 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 you know, Brian Leeskang called up and said, yo, Trent's crying. What happened? And I'm like, I quit. And he was and he was like, well, fuck, this day is going to be a very long day. Hmm. Because Trent was crying about it. And, you know, and that's the truth. You know, and I and I had a, it was a wonderful time, but it was also like it was also like, man, this is just, you know, if I'm not, if if you're not the head dog, you're literally down there just getting. I mean, <laughs> I'm I am still dealing with the fact that I was tackled every other night for, you know, for pa- for, for for years. Tackled? What do you mean tackled? Tackled. Physically tackled. Ph- physically tackled. He would literally tackle me. And it was awesome, but like it was brutal. I mean, I would go down on my right side, so I limped for, I limped for like ten years, not knowing that it was putting my back out of posture. And so I had, I just had a fusion on my back, and I, it's absolutely because I was tackled every night for for like a year and a half. So that was part of the act then. Oh yeah. Okay. It wasn't act. It was. In my opinion, it was like, we got to be fucking heavier than, fu- it was like, live it. Fucking let's drink. We're going to fucking like, let's live this shit. Let's not just be a bunch of fucking like, you know, rock and roll, man. You know, we were furious. We hated life. We were miserable, shitty, fucking <laughs> ruined Generation X slipping through society you know i would go off season after the tours i would go just do drugs and 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 literally climb bridges draw bridges in cleveland ohio just because it was more it was something different than just like like going to the clubs right. it was it was like we go to the clubs too but like it would it was like man how many people have been underneath this drawbridge riding this thing going up and down it's one of those ones that just goes vertical we would get underneath there drop some acid and just sit there and just ride this thing and watch lake liners go underneath us you know and and it was like fuck yeah no one does this we're the we're original we're to, we're doing something that no one's been doing just sitting here like underneath the drawbridge you know, riding this thing, watching lake liners to drop ore off or, you know, or, or, you know, iron ore. What was going on in Cleveland that made you so angry? What, what was the impetus? Number one, I mean, you know, my, my grades sucked. I mean, I was the worst student. I have ADHD and there was a whole bunch of learning, you know, issues that just destroyed my, um, my ability to intake any kind of, uh, 
information and it just made me frustrated. And so I got frustrated and just fucking just got really into music. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Trent or any, like I probably would have died earlier, you know, like probably around like 23 or 24, probably, probably something fucked up too. Like, because I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't make the mental connection that like literally you have to reinvent music. If you're if you're in a band, you literally actually have to reinvent music. Like I mean, and that's that was something that Trent taught me. Hmm. And you guys did. I mean, uh, we we I... there's 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 a distinct what we did was we crossed it over. 9 Inch Nails crossed everything over to um the masses by being uh, a songwriting outfit because mm -hmm. Skinny Puppy, y y y you're not gonna get it. No, y and, you're and, not gonna get it. And nor, like, nor will you with Ministry. They're gonna get Trent. Yeah, they're gonna. They they almost got Ministry, but when but when he started being just avant garde, he still had songwriting in there though. Stronger than reason. That's a verse, you know. Stronger than lies. The only truth I know is a look in your eye. That's a songwriting, you know. That's songwriting. Yeah. He's trying to bring you to a chorus, and, and the there's chorus, a hook there too. The hook is and that was like it's a fucking that's a fucking hit song in the world we were, which was the alternative. And but we still. You know, we were still even in the earlier days. We were still like, "This, this is never gonna fucking make it. We're never gonna fucking make it." You know, like you know. And then all of a sudden, everything changed with Nirvana and Jane's Addiction and Lollapalooza. Hmm. And Lollapalooza was like, we're on at five, and you know, I got a whole, I got, I got one or two chords a song, and I got a whole lot of time. And the whole lot of time, I just sat there and fucking just was as angry as possible and just threw shit at the crowd and like fought them. <laughs> Showed up to literally spit on them. The first thing I did was walk out and spit on them. Was, was, because I didn't want to, 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 I, it had to be a mosh pit. Yeah. We had to have a mosh pit. What, but what were you angry at? Do you when you look back on it, was it Trent because no, he was mar no. marginalizing? I was never you? mad. No. I was never mad at Trent for more than like 10, 10 or twenty minutes. Yeah, honestly. So what was the? the, the why did why did you leave uh, well, the band? Then? I was follow. I was I was falling through the cracks of society. I mm. was not understood. I was I was had played the game right my parents had played the game right but their son had just wound up being just like this kid that was i was like i'd rather i'd rather fight something and be upset than than to to than to say that i have any problems or i have any you know it took it took years of like of just being in recovery with alcoholism and and all kinds of stuff it took me years to realize what i was actually really mad at and i just was mad at the world i didn't understand it maybe um i still don't you know i i'm an atheist yeah and i i grew up in ohio like you people realize the guy was stabbed and he's dead and you're saying he came back to life. You realize how fucking incredibly unscientific this is. This, <laughs> this whole fantasy is. You you realize there's no such thing as zombies, for God's sake. You know, right. and to have that 
always just oppressively, you know, being thrown at me, that religion and that, that conservative. So your parents were pretty religious? Not necessarily. But you just grew but up around fucking, it. The whole yeah. vibe, the whole thing, you know, Ohio. I loved Ohio, parts of it. I loved the lake. I loved I loved a, lo a lot of it, but like the dreams, you, you tell someone, you would tell someone, yeah, I'm, I'm getting into music. I want, I really want to be a rock musician. What? You fucking loser. You're never going to make it. You're never going to fucking make it. That's what people said. Yeah. That's what it was like growing up in Cleveland. You come here and it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Everyone here is doing it. But, but we, hey, more power to you. Yeah. You know, it was like that. A lot more supportive environment. Yeah. So when did you make it out here? I actually started coming out here in like 1987 and would visit my brother Robert, who's the actor, Robert Patrick, Terminator 2. Right. Walk the line. Um, and so- Last Rampage. So he was out here before you and uh, obviously- and, and we both made it at the same time. I was successful with Nine Inch Nails on Lollapalooza and he was in Terminator 2 at the same time. And it was like, holy shit, we made it. Yeah. We made it. <laughs> you know, and you know, what's make it? Uh, you know, who knows? But we did it. We did something. You mm -hmm. know, we did something and we were from Cleveland and we were the fuck ups. You know, we were the we were the we were the scoundrels. Did he have the did he have the same degree of anger as you? Totally. Yeah. How did he how did that manifest though for him? He was acting. Yeah. He was he loves being the badass. My brother Robert loves being the badass. That's his thing. Yeah. And kind of channel some of that anger. Yeah, he just is is like he owns a Harley Davidson out in Santa Clarita. He's the head head honcho guy of the of the booze fighters, which is the original motorcycle gang. <laughs> uh, excuse me, club. These were the guys that came back from World War II, went to army surplus places to go find their beloved Harleys, put them back together and ride Harleys and they made the wild ones after they 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 created the movie the wild ones after the first motorcycle club called the Booze Fighters. Wow. From the Booze Fighters came Hells Angels and yeah, all the other ones. Okay, now I'm going to have to look that up. You got it. Yeah. Go ahead. That's yeah, amazing absolutely. history. So my brother sits in front of his Harley Davidson shop and scowls at people and he loves it and he just sits there and look at you what are you looking at you think you're better than me I mean he's really he's he's kind of a nut honestly my brother Robert well so so mid 80s to late 80s and you, you guys are both kind of breaking into two different industries at the same time mm. and uh, Lollapalooza happens you're touring with Nine Inch Nails what happens to culminate in you leaving the band in the early 90s? I had written a song called Hey Man, Nice Shot. And I'd, I'd written it and I had secretly sent it to record labels. And the record labels were like, we want to sign you right now. And I was like, okay. And then Trent heard it and was like, this is good. You want to demo it here? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, let's demo it here. And then we demoed it. And then it was like, it just was... It's 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 really weird. Feel like it's really weird. You feel like you're almost always on audition or something. And with Trent, are you talking about? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of this. It's the hired gun way of life. It, the hired gun thing. And I didn't. He listed me as an influence on Broken, but I didn't have anything to do with the record at all. 
And, you know, he, he can play guitar all right, and you know, good enough to do what he needed to do in the studio. Quick, let's just add this part. That's guitar playing. You know, in guitar, in, in, in the studio, it's, look, we've got, you know, 24 tracks here. Let's get some shit. Let, let's get some shit done. Okay, grab me the guitar. Great. So, I mean, like, what am I doing? And then it was there was a, a second for him to like, hey, hey man, I shot's actually a pretty cool song. Like, I think maybe we'd have to like tune it down a little bit, or you know, just I'm like, no, 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 that's mine, that's my song. I'm yeah. singing that thing. Yeah. And then it was like, you know, hindsight. People ask me why did why couldn't you just stay and do both? And I was like, there's no both. Hmm. There's no both. He de he demanded everything of his. There's no both. It, yeah. Like it's 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 it, there's some there was some weird unspoken thing that like you can't do this shit. You're not allowed to do this mm. shit. You're you're. I'm like yeah. I think I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna I'm gonna have my own voice and do my own thing. And it was really just like I just want to be free, because uh, honestly, listen, it's it's one thing to like it, it's one. There's one band in the existence of rock music we're talking about bands there's one band in the existence of rock music that has stayed together and been the same four dudes and that's you two mm. and it takes everything for those guys to get back on the stage together like after a, f a few months or what you know what i mean like like there was a few there was a few times where i think maybe adam clayton probably was like fuck this you know, yeah, and um, who knows? I mean, that's my. I'm, I don't know any of those dudes, you know. But when you're the guitar player, you're you're kind of stuck. You know, you're stuck, and especially in a band where there's nothing, there's barely any guitar playing. It's not like Nirvana. Yeah, Nirvana, you've got to have guitar. You have wall to wall guitar. You know, in in Nine Inch Nails, it was like, hey, there might not be anything for you on this song. It's like, what am I doing? And 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 there was no ownership. There was no there right. was no future. There was zero future. Well, Trent recorded pretty much everything himself, right? And then so he would bring touring it's musicians, no, right? Not not necessarily. Trent would would work with all kinds of people, but he would demand that it was always it was always like his. It's, yeah. It, it, like he first thing John Mom told me is, listen, it's Trent's band. That's it. Like it's Trent's band. It's his way or the highway. And and like and you you know it. And you know, I knew it going in, but at the same time, it was kind of like, why, why can't I have that? Yeah. Well, you outgrew it. It sounds like. Yeah. At, at, at age twenty six, it was like, fuck this, this, this. You know, this, I I have zero savings. I have nothing, and I've I've given my legs, I gave my back to this whole thing. Getting and, beat and up I every night. No, there's no job security whatsoever. I'm once again auditioning. I feel like I'm auditioning every day. And it was just like, this is, and it was hard. It was a tough decision. For two weeks, I said, okay, I'm going to believe in myself enough to quit and fully quit. Like quit, burn the fucking bridge. Like quit, like I literally, I was like, I was like secretly meeting with people. Like in like no fucking way was I going to tell them because they had this amazing way of talking me out of shit. And so finally it was like, there was two weeks where I was like penniless and, and like almost on the street. And my brother Robert was getting ready to kick me out of his house. And, and then all of a sudden the guy from Warner brothers, Mike Austin came over, sees my dad's realistic speakers as my, you know, like my control room. And he goes, you made this music 
on this equipment? And I'm like, yeah, don't mock my poor upbringings, you know? <laughs> and, and he was like, and he was like, I, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to sign you. He's like, you want a record deal? You got a record deal. And then it was them and th- it was Warner Brothers. Then it was Atlantic. Then it was, uh, like all these record companies and i was like holy shit this is real this is what it feels like yeah like now i'm the boss and i get to make the decisions and you know I, i'm the king of the castle <laughs> and you know but it was amazing because it was like freedom when you when you formed the band filter and you get signed to warner brothers and um now you're the guy and it's your band did you run it differently thinking about like okay kind of like when you're raised by wolves you're raised by parents that just really fucked up and you want to do it differently yeah i did i blew it i went the other way i blew it i i gave way too much control to people i gave so much like I, i there was one guy that literally didn't know how to play guitar on my stage playing guitar for the first tour he will remain anonymous, but if you go back and you watch the videos, it's just he's just my best friend, and I just I, I didn't want him to sit around while I was having fun being a rock star. Yeah, so you're pretty charitable. I was extremely charitable. And so you go in you go in the extreme I, opposite. Dude, my band yeah. had health care. My band had health care. Everybody was making eighty thousand dollars a year. Wow. After title of record, I put everybody on salaries and everybody sat there and made 80 grand a year. Wow. And had full coverage, full health care. So if they, Gino Leonardo had a baby on, on in our insurance, him, him and his wife had a baby. They bought houses. Wow. My, my engineers bought houses. Yeah. Well, this I is mean, before the dark ages, this is before. Everybody went, it's free. <laughs> it's all fucking free. <laughs> so, Wee! fuck your fucking kids. I, it's free. The internet has given us all your music for free. So, when, when did that dramatic change happen in the music industry where? All 2001, of a sudden, 2002, 2003, 2004. The Napster, yeah. kind of like the Napster. As soon as it was like, wait a minute, what's our budget? Your budget's $80,000, Mr. Bandrick. Wait a minute. My budget's eighty grand. My video budget is $20,000. The video budget for Take a Picture was $900,000. Yeah. We, we, flew, we, had a, we had a set drop down into the Olympic pool uh, in, 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 in Los Angeles. You know the permits for that were? Like, I mean, like we dropped an entire set and into the Olympic pool. We, we had the Titanic uh, divers have to sit there. The, the, the divers, the, the, the guys, the rescue team, all of those guys were like- On uh, standby, ready to save yeah. people, yeah. $5,000 a pop to, to, to have me like come up from the, I had to get scuba diving lessons. I, you know, like, I, yeah. For a Dude, music video. Dude, I was locked to the, the floor of the Olympic. It's 30, it's the high diving pool. So it's 35 feet deep. It's, it's, it's like th- three or four atmospheres or whatever. And I'm down there with ankle weights on to hold me down. So I can jump over the eels and all that shit. Yeah. 
So, so this is obviously pre-Napster, <laughs> where the budgets yeah. are are much more. But, but generous. this is what happens yeah. when you sell millions of records. And see, the, the here's the thing I'm going to say about my my little band Filter. When I quit Nine Inch Nails, a lot of people just were like, "Oh yeah, whatever. You're gonna, you know, blah blah blah." The song "Hey Man, Nice Shot" was released on the Demon Knight soundtrack. It was the eleventh song on the Demon Knight soundtrack. The eleventh song by an unknown band. The DJ was working on promos, had had it on to go through it because the radio guy had said, please just play anything from this, from this record. He put it on. He forgets about it. He's doing radio promo. He's editing. Next thing he knows, he hears, hey, man, nice shot. Stops everything, walks over, grabs it, puts it on the air. Crazy phones. Within two weeks of that, 40 major radio stations. Two weeks from that, 60 Two weeks after that, a hundred. Two weeks after that, three hundred. Yeah. Well, and so it literally went viral with no promo. They forced me to finish the record as quickly as they, as as they as they could because there was it, it was it, they had to duck. They were like, "Holy shit, it's taken off!" Finish the record. That's what they said. And that that song has made it on to so many television shows and movies, and so. When that happens, when that when that song or any of your songs make it into um, a film or or a television episode, um, did you set things up correctly in hindsight with your lawyers and with contracts so that you're actually being fairly paid for that? Oh hell yeah! Material, yeah. Yeah, we had we were we were raking in raking in the cash. Absolutely. Well done. Yeah, and it's still. I mean, now that streaming's here. It's not as bad as it was during the darkness, during the dark years, during the Napster, during the free, you know, CD burners in every computer. Yay! Wee! <laughs> you know. So the stream. When you say streaming's here, it's not as bad. Do you mean that, like iTunes, Spotify, all at least those you're, guys? You're, at least you're getting something. Oh no, I'm yeah. getting, I'm getting something. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting decent shit. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. Streaming is now making us money. Thank. Thank, thank the maker yeah. of, 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 yeah, Apple went, holy shit. Um, so we gave everybody CD burners um, and the bands gave us digital music and we've been giving everybody masters. Yeah. There was a CD by a band that had no problem selling records on our tour bus we got that CD. One person bought that CD. There's nine of us in that tour bus. Each of us has a laptop. One CD went around the oh. entire bus. Oh, yeah. Nine. And I'm like, I hate doing it, but I've got to because I'm broke as shit. Right. You know, like, <laughs> um, I'm like, it was, it was, it was, the band was Coldplay. So I was like, I was like, yep, you're going to, but literally, that's, Fourteen dollars each, nine people. What is that? Nine times four, nine times fourteen. Right, and now nobody uses CDs, so everybody's streaming, and that yeah, kind of you know. Yeah, well, they can count it. Yeah, and, and it goes. goes you can't back count and, digital copies being made by you know by one CD being ripped you know six times, right, or nine times. So, hey Siri, what is nine times fourteen dollars? Okay. I found this on the web for Hey Siri, what is nine times four? <laughs> hey Siri, turn on the calculator. 
Hey Siri, turn on the calculator. Hey Siri! <laughs> Bitch! I'm also pretty funny <laughs> in, in real life. I have like a comedic pause to stuff that I do. I noticed that. Where is the, where is the, hey Siri, open calculator. 14 times 12, what is that? Why don't we, 168 bucks. Okay. Yeah. In, in probably 20 minutes. In, of, yeah. Of passing that yeah. CD around. Yeah. Yeah. So. Can you tell us the story of writing the song for "Take a Picture"? Because I think I, oh, yeah, I've heard yeah, yeah. I've heard rumors about what oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. was behind that. But can you tell us? I was what a blackout that... alcoholic, and, and what I, what time frame are we talking about here? Nineteen ninety seven. Okay, I was already a blackout alcoholic. Um, I had been up on a three day binge, and someone put me on an airplane to go get my platinum records. Someone just put you on a plane. Well. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I should never fly. I should never fly in the morning. Don't ever put me on a 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. flight. Uh, I did not feel comfortable, apparently, in my blackout. Hmm. And I just decided to remove most of my clothes. And apparently that's what happened because when I woke up, I had a blanket on. You you remember, thank goodness for the movie Wolves of Wall Street. Hmm. That guy's life, where he wakes up and he's strapped to the airplane seat. Yeah. Bingo. Your life. That was my life. Yeah. So what was the- um, That was it. That was the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, there was all sorts of, all kinds of drugs and alcohol back then. So were people- I mean, it was rock and roll, mate. You know (laughs) what I mean? No, but the the sad thing is, is that I really didn't want to fit any of the stereotypes. I didn't want to be a stereotype. And so I was really disappointed in myself. And when I wrote the song, Take a Picture, I was like, I'm trapped in here. And I, I wasn't, I didn't want to talk about my alcoholism. So I had to be all like, use imagery and stuff. And, you know, hey, dad, what do you think about your son now? I was trying to ask my dad, like, do you know about my behavior? Do you know how fucking out of touch with reality I'm getting? And at the same time, yo, do you recognize what I've accomplished, how hard it was? I quit one of the biggest fucking bands of the 90s and then made it on my own for a long time, you know? And and my girlfriend was Darcy from the Smashing Pumpkins. And she was like, do you have any idea how lucky you are to be able to quit something like that and then make it outright on your own? I, I have, listen... You cannot take my hits away from me. No one can. My hits, my my the five songs that I that that I made big and the two that are still gold classics, no one can take those from me. And that's saying something about like at least the one shred of talent that I had. So you know, did, so and the, still uh, hopefully have as I do other people's movie scores. So the um the take a picture song was that written clean and sober? Hell no. no. Well, it was written in a in a in 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 an, an area where I knew I had to be sober to sing it because I I knew the song was a hit the moment the moment I played it on guitar. I was like, that's a hit. Yeah. And and the guy who instigated the hit was Billy Corrigan. He's like, come on, why do you always have to be so angry? Let's hear your voice. You have a pretty voice. Is, I hear you yeah. singing. He's it is like, kind of a I pop, toured with you know, those guys. I t- yeah. I toured with those guys. He would hear me singing like you know just just warming up to you know 
God knows what I would sing, you know. Uh, I was born a coal miner's daughter, you know, just anything. And he'd go, why do you have such a pretty voice? Why don't you sing? Why don't you sing with that? As opposed to all this screaming. And I'm like, okay. I was like, all right, you want to see? I'll, I'll show you. I can sing. I can sing. Like it was a dare. Yeah. And take a picture was a dare. Yeah, and it, it you know it really. And it was also a fuck you to like, like oh you think punk's the only thing that we have? Like the you think punk is it? Punk's not it. Punk is huge and important, but so is melody. Yeah. So is frailty. So is softness and vulnerability. Being gentle and doing falsettos for way too long. I don't even pop know hooks, I think, or, you know, and, and it's, that's not a pop song, but, you know, it is at least. It is a pop song. It's I, very I mean, accessible. I wrote a pop song. Yeah, I, it's I an wanted a, accessible song. But my, my fans were like, well, what do you, wait, what? You're an angry guy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm f- fucking modern rock guy. Yeah. Well, not I'm everybody. rock. Enjoy the modern rock. Don't fucking put me under that bullshit. Well, nobody's I, angry all the time anyway. Industrial. I was like, that's. That's his thing now. I'm not wearing fishnet stockings. <laughs> like, I'd rather Playing go pink as, guitars? You know, yeah, no pink guitars, please. Hmm. So the take a picture. Um, Can't you trip like I do. Jurassic was big on the Crow 2 soundtrack. Hey Man, Nice Shot. Hey Man, Nice Shot. And, and is Hey Man, Nice Shot still, still getting the play that it did, yeah. you know, when it first started? I mean, started? but, you know, what's playing rock radio, you know? It's like it's like that's playing jazz, or big band. Where, so where is radio I mean, today? People might listen to it on their way to work or something. But what, what's going on in radio today? I mean, and how does that fit into? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, record companies are still trying to. We gotta get out there and have a, 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 a hit. You know, they're still trying to say that shit, and it's like eat my dick. That's what killed rock. Radio. No, record company oh. saying, you got to get out there and give them something to hum along to, for God's sakes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I need a new car. <laughs> so the record companies kind of corrupted the- The record companies yeah. wanted everybody to sound like Nickelback, and Nickelback and Creed destroyed rock music, period, dead, end of story, dead, gone. And because of that, I literally, I love my guitar- my my latest record is called They've Got Us Right Where They Want Us at Each Other's Throats. And the best line from the song is it's it's written from the perspective of this guy named Sergeant Maga. And Sergeant Maga is a Trump supporter. He's from Ohio. I don't know why he's got a southern accent, but let me tell you something. I can't afford my meds. I might not be able to afford my meds. But at least I got my shotgun. That's that's the mentality of the guys that I'm writing about on on my new record. They've got us right where they want us at each other's throats. And when is that going to come out? Do you think? I have no idea. So you've done there's there's record company interest and stuff, but I'm like, yo, dude, <laughs> my video idea was to try and I I literally was like, what if we took an ISIS beheading and superimposed Trump's head. And the ISIS beheading, one of those horrible slow ones with the steak knife, mm-hmm. put his head and had filter like bumper stickers just covering up all the blood, like superimposed it using yeah. computers. On on the album, you yeah. mean? Okay. 
And then because see that that to me is like now it's back to making a statement. Yeah. Now it's back to like fuck did I get into music for the and it was and it literally the I, the idea for this record rebus came around with Brian Leesgang, and I worked with Brian. He he actually is an amazing lyricist, and I worked with him for a little while, and then he he's decided to move to London. Um, but I literally started making music that just was literally the most fuck you, in your face, Joe Strummer, Al Jorgensen, Nyvik Ogre, John Lennon, eat shit fucking music that I really, really missed making when I was young. And and that's what Hey Man Nice Shot was. Hey Man Nice Shot, let me tell you this. Hey Man Nice Shot was like, I told Trent what the song was about. And he's like, you can never tell anyone what that song is about ever it'll never get played ever that's what trent Reznor said about hey man nice shot hmm. and and i said dude did you did you hold back and not tell people I, I didn't tell people because i didn't want it to be known that it was about a particular person's suicide yeah because i don't make money on dead corpses i don't want to i don't want to do that but the phenomenon of holding a press conference and pulling a gun out and saying, stand back, this will hurt somebody, and blowing your head off in a... That was so mind... Well, not to use the pun, but it was so mind-blowing that like someone would think of that. Hey, man, nice shot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, I get, hey, man, nice shot, I guess. You caught our attention. You looked desperate. You killed yourself. Why? And Because it's the ultimate fuck you. It's yeah. the ultimate punk rock thing to do i'm gonna fuck all your memories up so who those are, who've got a new kind of fear you know those who are right there have a new kind of fear like they're gonna fucking remember like to love their kids they're gonna remember to think they're gonna it's 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 i mean i i, I don't know I, I i know people that were at the press conference who have who have said like yeah dude it was fucked up what what so what who are we talking about we're here? talking about our bud wire okay yeah and when was when did that happen? Was 87? that eighty-seven? Okay. And and Trent didn't think that that you would Trent said, get any dude, play. If, if anyone knows, if anyone knows what this song's really about, you'll never get airplay. Hmm. And I was like, I don't care. And I I was worried that like, and then, but see, here's the really fucked up part was when it came out, everyone just went, it's about Kurt Cobain because it, you know, it's guns. It's you know, hey man, have fun. It's it. Everyone was immediately. It's about Kurt Cobain. So I was like, "Well, fuck that. It's not even about him." It was written in '91, and I finally had an opportunity to to meet Dave Grohl. And I told Dave at some thing, some some party somewhere, I said, "You know that I I wrote that song." He goes, "I believe you." He goes, "I believe you." No one should make money off of Kurt's death, but. You, you had songs that were written about. I'm like, dude, it's about suicide. Motherfuckers kill themselves all the time, especially now in 2019 more than ever. Yeah. You know, so, and, and why? And why can't we talk about it? Because everything, you want to talk about how fucked up radio is. Radio, everything is a dream and it's happy and it's pretty. And I, ever since 9-11, music sucked as far as having a message. Like it literally sucks. There's no message. Even Tom Morello didn't say anything in the last election. He didn't want to upset his red state fans. 
Like he 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 should have been fuck eat shit Trump fucking go to go to hell go eat shit. He didn't. He said fuck them all. Like you know bullshit, man. He didn't say enough. No one's saying enough about this administration. No one's talking about this shit. It's yeah. disgusting. And when you and your little pump, how many fucking cars are you gonna buy before you realize you have seventeen mil? You have seventeen million motherfucking followers on Instagram. Why don't you fucking tell them to fucking think about their political fucking parties for a fucking second? Yeah. Like, can't you just say something other than fucking I'm high? Or I'm fucking stupid, or I'm high and fucking stupid at the same time. <laughs> Get off your ass. Right. There's well, there is there's a lot of influencers out there, and I think influencing that, what? Yeah, they're not, but they're what, not influencing what? anything important, you know. And I think right now you're just starting to see. You've got a president sitting in the White House, thumbing his nose at every subpoena that comes his way, and we're still debating on whether or not we want to impeach him, like. By setting the precedent of fuck your subpoenas, if you're setting that precedent, that means the next president's going to come in and say fuck your subpoenas and fuck you and fuck you, Congress. It's They have castrated the Congress the, the way that they're running things right now. The United States government does not have equal branches of government. Oh, I would We're, agree with you there. Yeah. I mean, the silence from almost everyone in positions of influence, including politicians. You know, there's there's feigned outrage here and there. Um, but yeah, it, I would agree with the you. The heroes 100%. in Watergate were the Republicans. Yeah. I didn't know a lot about Watergate until Watergate I watched Watergate was, uh, well, we can't let this happen because it's going against the Constitution. Not anymore. Yeah. All those guys, all those new guys in Congress, all those, all those senators, all those new Republicans, the, the Federalists, all those guys... They look at Richard Nixon as a pussy. Like, guy didn't go far enough. Like, why would you resign? Mm -hmm. Stick it out. Oh, he wouldn't resign today. Oh, hell no. No, there's no way he'd. he'd have, he's going to, yeah, that, and that's what you got now, but you got a reckless douchebag right now. He's just a fucking, like, absolute, complete disgrace to this country. You want to talk about, he's a total disgrace. To the country. He's a fucking disgrace. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not sure how much of this is going to make it into the episode, but I I am 100% with you, Richard. Um, let's get back to- Fucking disgrace. <laughs> Sorry. I, I want to ask about touring and the business of touring because- you know, you talked about Lollapalooza, and I've been to multiple Lollapalooza concerts as a kid, and they were huge events. Obviously, they, they looked from the outside looking in anyway, um, like huge money-making events for someone, made for someone at least. Yeah. Um, Perry and the agents and the promoters and everything. I didn't make any money. Trent actually, on the original, he spent more on broken gear than I think he did on making anything. I mean, you know, but yeah. but the actual, I mean, the the business model of touring acts like here's Rolling why Stones, the Who, here's you know, why whatever. I hate touring. Here's why I hate touring: the amount of energy it takes to drive everybody and fly everybody. It is so dirty. There's no electric. There's no electric buses. There's no electric jets. It's so filthy. You go there. You play your concert. You're left with garbage everywhere. It's just really, it's a dirty business. And, you know, they run generators and they, 
you know, I mean, touring is great. I've never been a big, huge, like selling type of band. I rarely tour. I'm thinking about doing something for the 20th anniversary of title of record where I'd play most of the record, you know, from start to finish kind of thing. But in terms of the the business, and I, and I get the the environmental part of it, I totally hear you, and I I would agree. I, I do. I but, love seeing. I, I, I just I, do. People really can people really afford one hundred and fifty dollars tickets? Well, I think with the bigger acts, you see that. I mean, like you see these stadiums selling out. You two, I saw you two in San Diego a couple of years ago, and yeah, you know, the, obviously with the with the thirtieth anniversary of Joe. of Joshua Tree, yeah. and yeah. But but in like going to sell, say like a thousand seat venue, uh, where you you maybe fill half of it or three quarters of it, you know, is that yeah, a maybe. viable is that That's, a viable business model for bands? Not me, not yeah. my band. I hate it. Yeah. I hate touring. Is it necessary though anymore to promote to do you have to tour to promote an album in order I to I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, no, you don't you really don't have to tour. Um, I know record companies like it when you tour. Do you need record companies anymore? Or I, can I, you self-record uh, and self-publish? I mean, Honestly, I don't think you do. I Rock you do. Rock is fairly expensive. You know, there's lessons. You know, you have to learn how to play the damn thing. Okay. You have to learn how to play the drums. There's, you know, it's an investment. It's a lifetime investment. You're taking hours and hours and hours out of your week to sit there and learn how to play a guitar. You got to learn how to sing, you know. You got to learn how to like take care of your voice. So it's really expensive. Hip hop, fuck that, cheap as shit. <laughs> cheap. As... Couldn't have been fucking smarter if you if you tried the 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 resourcefulness, the resourcefulness of two dudes going. Let's just play a beat and talk over it mm -hmm. walk and talk over it that's what they called it back then walk and talk yeah and then they're like and then spin it and like you get one record playing one beat and you get an, you get the identical record playing the same beat and you just keep spinning it and i talk over it and like it worked out and little by little this is how i this is how i understand this is how hip-hop destroyed rock in my eyes right in front of me and I'll tell you that. I'll tell you this right now. This is going to blow your mind. So I'm in working on my second record, a record that's going to cost probably six or $700,000 to make all in title of record. I'm, it's the most important thing ever. Every single instrument is played, crafted, thought out, designed. Every performance is met. It's just minutely put in perfectly. Just play just right. 72 channels mixing this thing in the A room of the mix room in Burbank, Ben Gross's brand new studio, right? He's got the J9000 SSL console, okay? So this is the shit, right? He's got another guy in there. Now, I'm in both the A room and there's the, the B room, all right? I've got, and I'm doing overdubs in the B room, so you can't touch my shit. I got the A and the B, the most expensive rooms there, right? And then there's this guy, this little kid over there. He's got like blonde hair. He's kind of sitting there. He's a little white kid. He's over there. He's there's like twenty. There's like twenty brothers hanging out over there. It's like twenty black dudes, and they're trying to cram into the C room, the little C room. 
And the C-Room, I'm not kidding you, has an Atari computer in it. And they've got a printer, the dot matrix printer, for like some of the stuff that they've got in there. And here's this kid hanging out with some goofballs, and everybody's just pilled out of their mind, having a great time. So I was drinking. Don't, don't get me wrong. But there's this kid, and one day the kid is, is not there anymore. And I look, and there's a top 200 of the Billboard charts, top 200. And there's 200 artists with the dot matrix printing, right? So it's one continuous two, top 200 all the way. The top of the door all the way down to the bottom. And at the very top of that, it says Marshall Mathers, Eminem. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, he's got one little amplifier. He's got one little computer in there. He's got one little sampler. He's got a bunch of dudes hanging out. Everybody's smoking pot. No one's... It's dead. Yeah. I said, I doesn't care if you craft all your little fucking sounds. It doesn't fucking matter. They've got us by the balls. All you need is an 808, some slamming shit, some a fucking rapper who can fucking deliver, and you've got everything. Because everything is electronic. Everything's electronic. It's easy. You fuck, dude. I could. We could go in there and that song that I wrote. Yeah, I played everybody. I played this song for him called American Carnage. And it took me 10, 15 minutes to come up with that. And it's so like, it's like, it's like, it's the same feeling I had when I, when I heard I Will Follow by U2. I'm like, you can't, you can't show up with two fucking chords. It's not even chords. It's just strings. I'm like, you can't just show up playing the. Everybody tunes their guitar, plays those harmonics. Bring, bring, bring. Like you can't just fucking do the harmonic thing that we all do when we tune a fucking guitar at the edges. Like you damn right, just did it. That's the beauty of fucking music is that the the guy with the with the barely has any skills, you know, playing the guitar can fucking outdo everybody by just being simple and unique and special and amazing. And that's why U2's huge. And that's why Eminem's huge. There's the only thing he's got is his is 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 the only thing it doesn't matter what drum set you use. It doesn't matter what what guitar you have. It doesn't matter it's all about your internal who you are as a person and why that's interesting. Hmm. And that was the lesson that that I learned from Marshall Mathers. The, he's just fucking bringing this he's bringing the goods. 100 doesn't even need music. Doesn't even need to write shit down. Just flows. Yeah. You know, he wants to be on the internet, boom. He fucking he 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 gets a bunch of guys in a parking lot and he sits there and fucking throws a finger up and then does a free uh, free Freestyle, like literal actual freestyle against owned the internet for like six weeks or something. You know, remember that for, against Trump? Remember that shit? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That went viral. Yeah, it went yeah. viral. It's say sat there on top of the internet for fucking like resold everything. Yeah. You know, like resold everything. All his records went platinum again. So it's all, know? I mean, this change, this, this sea change um, from highly produced, extremely expensive music to basically home produced very simple very simple approach to recording and distribution is that a good thing yeah yeah it's equal now little pump little pump little pump is him and smoke perp smoking perp uh 
They, they, I, I just watch it all the time. I love it. I love what they've done to hip hop. I love the fact that like, who gives a fuck, man? Fuck all y'all. I'm doing what I want to do. I love that shit. Rez is my favorite EDM artist. R-E-Z-Z. 21-year-old girl from Toronto, uh, Canada. Completely unique, special. There's something about her. She made these little goggles, little LED lights on them, and she just sits there and just... Everything's, everything's, dude, they show up with a flash drive. They don't even have to bring their shit. They don't even fucking bring their shit. <laughs> Do you understand how much shit you have to bring if you're in a fucking rock band? You got to bring fucking guitar number one. And you got the C-tuned guitar. Then you have the fucking D-flat guitar in case you're horse and or some shit. You might, it's never ending fucking like... Oh, God, did anyone remember the fucking, oh, the snare drum's not right. Snare drum, we broke a snare on the fucking snare drum. Now we got to fucking go look for a snare drum out here in Albuquerque or some shit. <laughs> Seriously. Sounds Rez, exhausting. She designs the light show, and then they kind of wheel her, whatever they have, one little one, she throws her fucking thing in a flash drive, she puts it on, she fucking pretends. Yeah. She gets up there. She pretends fucking what she's doing. And see, she's selling out and shows. And it's awesome. Yeah. And it's the biggest fuck you. I don't even need any. F I don't even sing. I show up. I got my shit on a flashlight. I fucking did nothing to be on this fucking stage except design the light show with the fucking guy. How many cans of fucking the strobe lights do you have i i don't know maybe i've got 20 okay if you got 20 bring 20 if you got 30 bring 30 that's the, what she does to prepare for her fucking show and it's genius and it's the biggest fuck you and it's the ultimate punk rock and it's the ultimate and that's why she's the king of music in my opinion yeah and what do you think about this dj movement where like you know steve aoki and guys like that are, are showing up and a lot of those guys suck a lot of those guys beef but but uh, 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 there's, I like Rez. Yeah, I think Rez is pretty cool. And that's that's a little different than the the DJ. I mean, DJ is like not a lot of origi original. It's all the same stuff shit. happening. It's all the same shit. It's one guy getting. You know, the one kid who killed himself was he 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 did kind of create the the thing that he he created. He he was the uh, Swedish kid that had mental problems and he he created some cool stuff and he worked on it really he crafted it mm. the edm movement is you know dead mouse is he's crafting uh, music he's he's literally you know working really hard to create something new and fresh and amazing and and so he no the edm the, the edm thing is probably my most favorite form of music right now mm. it's those guys and i love guys i love composers to bring it all back around to what I do now, uh, I'm into uh, Yanni Johannesson, the guy that he died of a, a, of a drug overdose. Um, hmm. He was a great composer. He did Sicaria. He did... He oh, did, the uh, movies. Okay. He did, he did, he did, he did the, a ton of great movie stuff. He did... Oh, my God. He did the movie uh, Mandy. Oh, Oh, okay. I love that fucking movie. And that's why I love Nicolas Cage. He's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, he's brilliant. Because he also actually has said that he likes Filter, which is kind of cool. Oh, nice. So I'm like, y'all know who Filter is? <laughs> y'all know who Filter? So t tell us about how you got into 
scoring movies and what that what that process looks like, how long it takes. Someone asked me to do it. Um, Jim Carrey's people, his his agency reached out and said, "Would you be interested in doing this?" And I said, "Yes," immediately. No hesitation. And I jumped in feet first and I said, I can do it. I can do it. Sure. Yeah, I know everything about scoring movies. And, <laughs> you knew nothing. And I knew, I literally knew nothing. And I, I hired my friend Tobias in-house uh, to help me. And um, he literally kind of taught me everything I need to know. And... Um, I love it. It's the greatest. You're given something that has zero, nothing. It's just a raw movie, and there's just maybe some sound design and acting, and you're the fifth character, hmm. and you've got to show up and and deliver an emotion that like that makes people cry in some cases. I made the directors cry on the last rampage. And that was like one of the greatest moments of my life because- Is that the one this, with your brother? This guy has been making, yeah, my brother got me the gig, straight up. My brother got me the gig and I'm, I'll take any gig I can get. Mm -hmm. My, um, the, the producer <clears throat> had been spending his whole life trying to make this. You know, he'd been, he'd been trying to make his own movie that he wrote and that he directed and like his whole life. And here he is watching the music to the end of the movie that he made, and he's crying. That's that's that, that's like, power. That's that's well, it gives me the reassurance to know that I shouldn't hang my fucking self in a bathroom. You know what I mean? Like you know, in Detroit, it's yeah. like it's as as a recovering alcoholic, you have to constantly look for the better, brighter thing in in life. And, uh, you know, when, when you get that one little moment and, you know, I never, I, I didn't make any money on that, you know, any, it's not about the money anymore. It's not about the money anymore. Li living, motherfuckers who care about money end up like Trump. It's so obvious. Get, let's answer the subpoenas. Let's see your tax returns. Clear your name. It's really, it's beneath the American, uh, the presidency. I mean, it really is. I agree. So big, going back to movie scoring, you say there's no, th at least the projects that you've worked on so far, not huge money-making projects, but personally rewarding, it sounds like. Dark Crimes actually made me some decent money. Yeah. And, and I was very happy. Uh, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing things. Listen, when I was a kid, I saw Star Wars, and I was like, that is instantly just uh, the, the Luke's the binary sunrise or sunset and he's looking out to na, 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 na. you know that is amazing but what about that other movie stanley kubrick space odyssey mm. when the cavemen are getting close to the monolith and you just hear a choir losing its like literally and each one of those guys is doing that and they're and obviously they're following the conductor's movements and as soon as the guy gets close to it they start to form a chord it's just like abstract and crazy go back and reference it you should play those okay 
But when you hear the different types of approaches to, to, to how to get through a scene, and you realize that there's no rules. I mean, music, there's no fucking rules anymore. And so for me, because I'm not a perfect piano player who's got all this uh, ability and classically know, trained. I'm not classically trained, yeah. and I and I and I, I I respect it. But the more I respect it, the more I push it away, because I like the crazy nut that's over there going. That's having to convince a choir, a choral, to sit there and go, listen, sound out of tune. Stop, get out of the box, and now place yourself in this movie. Apes are reacting to a perfectly formed, you know, uh, thing on, on planet Earth, you know, 100,000 years ago. There's a difference in those apes, and they become humans. And like, like, put yourself in the movie and get out of this box and make some crazy shit. We're making a movie here. We're trying to make a point. That, to me, is just absolutely fascinating and 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 easy it's easy to go this is where i say fuck all y'all i'm gonna fucking do something really weird and hope that everybody likes it yeah it's another it's another way to be creative and it's the pressure the pressure to get you better get this fucking right you know like like you can't fuck up someone's movie how it, much? How much do you work with the director and producers? Or? I live in. I invite them to the. I'm like here. Have a tent. Live in. Live in a tent. Right here. C c sit with me. We're gonna do this thing together. And like, but most of my directors get fired. I'm the guy that like the producers hire. Okay. I mean, that's what happened on on Dark Crimes. I, I'd never met the director. They fired him. <laughs> I'm like, so how are we doing? This is my first movie. Oh, it's like kind of my first movie. How are we going to do it? Okay. <laughs> we hired you. Get it right. You said you could do it. I can do it. I can totally do it. I can, completely, I'm going to do it. No, no problem. I've got it. I've got you. They loved it. Yeah. They love Brett Ratner. Ah, this fucking sounds great, man. Good job. I'm like, oh, thank God. So Trent, I know Trent Reznor does a lot of movie scoring, and I I, I saw his name on the uh, Ken Burns uh, Vietnam documentary. I think. Um, do you think that there's no? That could be totally coincidence. No, that, he, that, he 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 but, was he expressed an interest. We, we both did when we were young. But do you think that your backgrounds in um, electronic music and industrial industrial oh, music? Oh, totally. Which is, there's the listen. It lends Listen, itself to that. They, 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 Jim Carrey goes, "Hey man, I shot had some really cool shit in it. Isn't that guy from Nine Inch Nails too? You know, it yeah. was one of those things. Right. But do you, I don't know if that's what Jim Carrey said though. But they had pieced it together that that I was in the Cable Guy, and they're like, that guy's cool too. And I'm probably the low rent version <laughs> of Trent Reznor. Well, I wouldn't a, say that. No, no, but of what, the industrial. Oh, uh, okay. Um, hell yeah, I'm probably yeah. yeah. I'm cheap as shit. You can get me to do your movie for fucking yeah. I did not win an Oscar on my first go round. Um, yeah, I'm probably way cheaper. But do you think your skill and sets better? If I might add, <laughs> goddamn right. Do you think your skill sets though? kind of came from the same place i mean you have um avant-garde recording yeah we yeah nothing was nothing was off limits nothing was everything was fucking free and crazy 
We don't need a bass player. We got bass synth. Fuck bass. You know, we fuck it. We'll just put bass synth. It sounds better, bigger. It's easier. It doesn't fucking ask for food. Same with drum machines. So you're you're. If I were if I were to come out with short bus right now, I would zero fucking bandmates right now. I'd literally be like, just fuck all y'all. I want to write. I want to write music, dude. Go write music. Go start your own fucking band. Do what I did. I literally, I have literally had to say that. Like, dude, this is my fucking shit, bro. And people hate it. That's why they villainized me on in in the hired gun documentary. So, so the unconventionality, the, the the unconventionality and the resourcefulness of the industrial music movement and the musicians in that movement. Do you think that that is a common denominator for you and Trent in terms of your your skill sets transferring into movie scoring? If that makes sense. Oh, I mean, it's incredibly cinematic. Yeah. The, the, the take a picture, take a picture when you put it in the girl next door. When Luke Greenfield put take a picture into the girl next door, I looked at him and I said, "That's your fucking. That's that's a fucking movie, right?" Brilliant. There. That's a fucking brilliant way to fall in love. Those two kids with that song, and he was just like, "Yeah." He said, like, "Can you write something?" I'm like, "What?" Th- that's a once in a lifetime thing, writing something that pretty and that gorgeous and having it work just right, like. You got to buy it. Mm-hmm. And he did. He paid yeah. big, big money for that bad at the time. Like, yeah, still. Oh, it's insane. They don't pay for that shit like that anymore. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Because the movie, the movie industry has just changed from well, a budget no, standpoint? Yeah. Or? You know, they, they found out, well, look at how desperate these, these musicians get when they don't get their, when they don't get, when they don't sell CDs. Hmm. And they all took advantage of it. It's like you fire, you fire people. Then you go try someone else, and then you go back a year later. How you doing? You want to build some cars? Yeah. Will you do it for less money? Yeah. Thought so. Kind of exploitive. Yeah. Yeah. So if you yeah. if you you know you you've actually survived in, in what sounds like an incredibly tumultuous, difficult industry, the music industry for, and you're yeah. still doing it after all these years. Yeah. Um, if you could go back and give advice to your younger, probably angrier self. And I know you're clean and sober now, so... Well, my kids, I I don't do that regret thing. I have the most beautiful children on earth. I mean, I swear to God, they're literally the most beautiful kids. And if it didn't happen exactly the way it happened, I mean, with every pitfall, with everything, I wouldn't have these two amazing kids. You know, I'd probably have some, you know... But honestly, I would say, hey, dude, believe in yourself. You will not win the battle of drugs and alcohol, so you might as well quit now. You cannot drink like a normal person. And by the way, you have acute ADHD, so get treated. I would, I would give myself medical advice. What about creatively? What kind of advice would you Live give yourself fucking creatively? Your most dangerous ideas, the most fucked up dangerous ideas are the winners. <laughs> Go follow that shit. Don't, don't. Don't don't water it down. So basically, that's what I did in the in the odds. I watered the shit down. I so the scariest it down. In the ideas. Teens, I in the last in the la- the these in this there there was a lot of watering going on in my in my and and the funny thing is is I can make money in anything I do in music. I can make the, the money is not. It's what are you doing this shit for? This is what I would say. 
what in the fuck are you doing this shit for? And try to dig it, try to dig into to, the reasoning. Are you trying to fucking put something out that fucking is going to make some money or it's going to do something? Or are you trying to fucking make something beautiful? What are you doing? And honestly, it's that mentality. None of this shit, Matt, like... I have a friend that is in a band and he's worried about his fucking stock daily, uh, you know, derivatives and his fucking, and it's like the last fucking thing on planet earth is me trying to fucking go out on stage dressed as a schoolboy. Can you imagine living like that? You're fucking, you're 70 years old and you're painting your face and you're putting fucking paint on your face, fucking you, 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 Gene Simmons, and you, 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 you know, not to use anybody's names, but your his name <laughs> rhymes with Gene Simmons from Kiss. Yeah. You gotta fucking put that shit on. You fucking out there getting liposuction, trying to fucking put shit on your face. You out there? Fuck that. That's not fucking being a badass. That's being a fucking sellout. That's that's being that's just lame. Yeah. Can you imagine? You got to fucking go. Oh, I got to put the mask on. Well, it's a shit. I'm in my 50s. I'm sober and I got to fucking put the mask on and pretend I'm a ghoul from 1999. Here I am. They're, you know? they're, they're holding like, on to a shtick. It's a shtick. It's bullshit. You know, oh, we're, we're doing the fuck that. You're, you're, you're trying to fucking get your kids through school, but you're not dangerous anymore. So I, I met your daughter you know, earlier. Be, own up to it. Your your daughter is eleven you know? years old. Yeah. Yeah. So if if she tells you um, after high school, Dad, I want to become a musician. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. You're gonna probably run into some pitfalls, but just don't just just do something that's badass. And I don't think I'm the best, most badass musician on the planet. I don't think I'm anything like that. But I feel better when I'm just free, musically, creatively free and just you know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean to a certain extent, you know, I feel like amazingly proud of my small mediocre little career where I quit nine inch nails. I went off and I did my own thing and I fucking did it my way. You know, I did it. I did it on my terms. This entire past 30 years has been my, what I wanted to do. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to be in nine inch nails. I didn't have to, I quit when I wanted to. That's freedom. And it wasn't about the money. Everybody talks about, oh, it's money, money, money. Not really. Most of my money was fucking taken from me, you know? And, I, you know, it, it's really how much of a fucking noise can you make and how offensive can you be when you're coming from a punk rocker? But at the same time, I made one of the most beautiful songs on earth as as uh, as a pop artist for a half a second, you know, for half a second. I don't, like, I don't give a shit. My whole thing is this. There I've got I've got ex-bandmates that f fucking hate my guts because I canceled a tour and went and got sober. Like I have I have I have a guy that's that's so fucking angry and shitty and mean and fucking calls me drunk and he just says the most vile shit to me. I have them all fucking recorded. I keep them because I'm like this is the fucking guy that's lost his imagination and he's a slave to his fucking chemicals and he's just 
bitter because I fucking saved my life and went to rehab. You don't go to rehab during the record cycle. You go to rehab before the record cycle. You go to rehab before the camera crews are on you. You, you I didn't know when to get, you, there's no good time to get sober. It's just, oh shit, I can't handle this anymore. Fuck. And I canceled the tour and fucked and destroyed the momentum of my of my record, Amalgamut, which was on its way to being another platinum selling. And I, I literally, I went to rehab and I didn't do anything for a year. I stayed in a, in a house in Topanga and like, and, 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 and just literally, literally had to understand why I was such a bad alcoholic. And I had to like, I had to take a year off, like, and it was like, it crushed my career. It crushed. So there's no, you know, I'm not sitting here complaining but like i mean if you're gonna like i literally i got a guy mad at me because i got sober so like did, why'd you get sober you fucking wrecked everything i'm like dude i want to live i wanted to fucking live you know what i mean was was it difficult to create and perform sober did you have to find out how to do that and relearn anything i went and sang in front of fifteen thousand people at the pond for a tsunami uh, benefit for that massive tsunami that took out most of the, the Philippines. Coast. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I I I and I was I sang whole lot of love, which is arguably one of the hardest songs to sing in the world. Oh yeah, you need cooling, baby. I'm not fooling. Yeah, it's way up there. And how did it go? It was great. That was your. It was first? better than just now. That little bit I just sang right now. So that I'll was your that. first performance sober. Yeah, and it was like remember the pond. Remember the pond. That's what I kept saying because it was at the pond. Mm. I remember thinking to myself, I can't believe it. I did it. I did it sober. And, you know, and like euphoric after the show and like, I can't believe I'm still high after the show. Like, you know, like, because I thought that was going to leave. Like, yeah. well, it was the beer that made me high and the and whatever else, 10,000 other things that could have made me feel that good. Yeah. No, it was the show. Dummy. Yeah, I would have told myself a lot of stuff. Like, dude, you don't, the booze you're gonna you have to quit outright. Same with smoking. Same with everything. You, got, you can't you can't eat shit. You can't you gotta you gotta yeah. be healthy. It sucks, but you gotta be healthy. You know, yeah. it's boring, but you gotta be healthy. And then what do you what do you tell your kids about drugs and alcohol? Now you that have been given a set of genes that uh, probably gives you a higher propensity to be uh, an addict. And if you do not want to suffer in a agonizing 10, 15 year, sometimes lifelong battle of drug addiction, you will not even have a sip of booze. And my wife's like, or you could be like me and have a glass of wine and not want to sell the house for a handful of fistful of crack. <laughs> okay. You know. So- if um, listen, not that I was into crack, I just love saying that. I heard that once at a meeting. I was like, "That's awesome." <laughs> I don't want to sell my house for a fistful of crack no more. <laughs> so, if listeners want to find you online, social media, do you have a social media presence? Yeah, I'm. You know, Instagram, and I'm always just completely unfiltered. And I did not mean to make that pun, but yeah, there's. I'm just absolutely hate the Trump administration. You might see my dog you know there's some stuff like that i don't really have the internet presence of of uh, a lot of bands out there but i still like to stir shit up and there's a lot of stuff about the new music that i'm doing um 
And but this is one of those rare interviews where you're working and you're not really. Pro- oh, actually, I've, d- I've done a lot of press for the 20th anniversary of uh, title of record, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, and, and that- you can get your signed copyright over there. Oh, nice. Yeah, and the vinyl too. Yeah, I love vinyl. Yeah, I I actually bought a turntable to to do the whole right the on. whole thing, and it and it's got. I gotta say, it's kind of fun. And so your new album, you're still working on it. And can we expect um, a release maybe in six months, twelve months, or is it's just... definitely coming out before the next uh, the next um, election? Okay. Yeah, it's and it's going to be political, obviously. Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's just going to be completely venting. Yeah. At 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 his assholiness. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's great, Richard. Unfiltered. Thank you so much for talking you with us. You got it. Yeah. What a great time. See you in a bit. All right. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Dream Path Podcast. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time, and as always, go find your dream path.